Spring. Oh. Can't do this one at all. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a special Halloween episode of Faces and FinOps Podcast, powered by ProsperOps. I'm your spooky host, John Meyer. Faces and FinOps Podcast is about highlighting thought leaders in the cloud financial management space and insights on how they're making an impact not only within their organization, but within the broader FinOps community. And I have a special co-host today, ProsperBot, who is a FinOps certified cloud cost optimization and financial management expert with over 30 years of combined experience. Please join me in welcoming ProsperBot. Thanks, ProsperBot. Today's Faces in FinOps topic is the spooky tales of when manual commitment management goes wrong. And our guest today is Matt Stelfluke, who's a senior FinOps specialist at ProsperOps. Please join me in welcoming Matt to the show. Matt, thanks for joining me. Hey, John. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Matt, before we get into our scary topic today, how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, glad to, John. Uh, so my history uh, was always as an infrastructure engineer. I'm old enough to have begun my career before the cloud existed. Uh, so that would have been data center days, co-location facilities, racking and stacking, cabling. Um, and it was always for smaller shops. So I got a broad experience, you know, from block storage all the way to the network edge um, and really good hands-on learning. That segued into the cloud, and I've got about five years as an AWS engineer experience in my previous gig. Uh, and then I actually pivoted into a FinOps role kind of out of default. There was no one in my previous org that knew how to deal with it. Finance didn't want to touch it. Engineering didn't really have the skill set. So they said, hey, Matt, you have broad experience. Can you help us figure out where, where costs are going? how we can address some optimizations, et cetera, et cetera. And I sort of fell into it, so that's why I'm here. Well, Matt, what are you doing at your current role at ProsperOps? Sure, so as a senior FinOps specialist at ProsperOps, I am sort of adjacent to the sales team, but really it's it's in so much as I act as an education uh, or an educator in prospect calls because ProsperOps methodology is very unique in the marketplace uh, with focusing on more of like the convertible RI versus standard RIs, for example, uh, is one differentiator among several. Um, and most of the sales cycle is really about education. And so I serve as an expert and sit in those prospect calls and educate and get people up to speed on what's actually possible and kind of demystify some, some preconceived notions about uh, AWS discount vehicles. Matt, let's jump into our topic and talk about the spooky tales of when manual commitment management goes wrong. And, you know, my first question for you, is it really scary when you see aggressive laddering or stacking of savings plans because they ultimately were assumed and looked at as like the, the easy button for going? They are easy, and I'm sure that's why AWS likes them. Uh, so a savings plan or a compute savings plan is kind of the common type uh, we'll just we'll just assume compute compute savings plan when we say that I guess, um, but it can be scary, in so much as it's immutable. And what we mean by that is, when you commit to a one or three year term, it is yours for the full duration of that term. It sounds it sounds harmless enough, perhaps. However, it leaves no room for engineering optimization, right? So if I commit to let's say eighty five or ninety percent of my compute usage today, point in time, 
and then I reduce. Let's say I do something like I realize that Graviton's good price performance improvement over like a, an x86, you know, your Intel or AMD processors. And I take all of my EKS clusters and I like overnight with my IAC pipeline, I convert them all to Graviton. So I just reduce my cost materially. And now I'm literally overcommitted or I'm underwater on those savings planks. I'm now paying more, I'm committed to more than, I'm, than I want to use today. Very scary. Matt, is there a way that you should look at this or maybe a way that you could resolve this type of issue? Well, in the case of savings plans, uh, there, there really isn't recourse. Uh, there's no, there's no take backs on, on a savings plan purchase. Uh, so that can put you in a really tough spot. So the line that organizations have to walk, they've got to decide how much they're willing to commit without being overcommitted or being at risk of overcommitment. Um, it's, and for that reason, we get the other scenario in which groups will undercommit and leave a bunch of on-demand spend because they were too tentative or didn't know, you know, the future was uncertain. The, the usage future was uncertain. And they were like, well, we might reduce in the next X months, it's hard to say. So we're just gonna commit at, let's say 50 or 60%, very conservative. Well, let's talk to Prosper about it. Prosper, what do you think about this? You know what, Prosper, I agree with you. That's really spooky and scary at the same time. Matt, is it sometimes a little bit of a, I want to say a gun shy to actually go ahead and commit and utilize those savings plans so they, they're undercommitted to it and they're leaving a bunch of money on the table? And because, you know, obviously you've got to commit for a certain period of time, almost like the traditional on-premise where I'm looking at, you know, committing to my infrastructure over like five years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think anyone, whether it's engineering doing the, the, the purchase execution or procurement or finance, nobody wants to be in the seat that uh, committed to too high of an amount, right? You don't want to be the person that's responsible for literally throwing away money because uh, you optimized or, you know, a common scenario might be we were doing migrations, we were lifting, shifting, and we got some stuff wrong and, oh, we did, we thought we were going to spend here. Now we're spending here, but we were committed, you know, at too high of a level, uh, tricky situation. Uh, and for that reason, yes, absolutely correct. We see people or prospects in these initial conversations with too conservative of commitment. And then let's say you commit at 60, 70%, that means 30 or 40% of your compute is on demand or the public rate the most you can possibly pay. On demand is the most easiest to use, but is the most expensive to use, correct? That's right. You don't have to commit upfront to on demand, but therefore uh, you've got to pay full price. Exactly. AWS has a number of tools for you to do a lot of savings from RI, CRI, savings plans. Matt, we've been talking about savings plans, but are there other AWS instruments that have a risk? Uh, yeah, there are. Um, so you're absolutely right. There's more than just savings plans with AWS. You've got reserved instances or simply RIs. Uh, of which there are mainly two flavors, standard RIs and convertible RIs. Uh, in terms of risk after savings plan, the standard RI would be the next most risky. And the reasons for that are 
pretty straightforward. So there's there's rigid rules around standard RI. Uh, so they do have disposability via the RI marketplace. Uh, however, the rules of that marketplace dictate that for the first 30 days and the last 30 days of your commitment term, so that's again, one or three years, you cannot list that RI for sale in the marketplace. So there's sort of these bookends of rigidity with a standard RI. So let's say I, I provision something, I wanna buy an RI to match it. And then let's say that thing changes in that first month, I cannot modify, sorry, I cannot sell that RI in the marketplace to match that new engineering reality. So I'm stuck for that 30 days in the last 30 days. <clears throat> Other uh, restrictions around standard RIs make them risky as well. So the standard RI marketplace, uh, while you, it does offer liquidity, number one, you've got to have something that someone else wants to buy. You can't just make it disappear in the marketplace. Literally, another party has to purchase it. So that means if it's some exotic instance or perhaps Windows, just because it's a, a smaller percentage of overall, you know, Linux is much more common. So if it's something of a more edge case of an instance, it's going to be harder to sell that RI. And then the last big risk, uh, or really it's just a miss with standard RIs, is that of GovCloud. Because uh, the RI marketplace has disclosure requirements, I think it's for tax reasons, the buyer and seller have to disclose information about each other. And in GovCloud, since you know privacy is king, uh, the there literally is no standard RI marketplace because in GovCloud, you don't want to disclose who you are. Okay, Matt, I didn't even know all that. Let me ask you about the RIs and that you cannot resell them within the first or last month. Does that go for the standard one-year and three-year commitments? Yeah, both both one and three-year commitments, the first and last 30 days of those one or three-year terms, you cannot list them for sale. They are yours. So if you buy a one-year, you really only have 10 months in 10 months, you could potentially be sitting on this RI that you're no longer using because your engineering architecture changed because you didn't look into the entire FinOps and you know the businesses, best practices for cost optimization around the architecture. You said, I'm going to buy it. And then you implemented FinOps and now all of a sudden you're stuck with these. Yep, that's the risk. You got it. Prosperbot knows what we're talking about too. Prosperob, do you have a you know a preference between RIs or savings plans? Do you like CRIs? Yeah, I know. I'm a little partial to the savings plans being that they came out in 2019, but I do like them. We have some experts here talking about, you know, RIs, the spooky tales and manual commitments. And, you know, there's so much we can dive into and go a little bit more in depth. You know what, Matt? Let's talk about what is so cryptic of actually buying a three-year convertible RI. Yeah, so the convertible is, yeah, so that's the other type of RI that we haven't really talked about yet, but that is actually um, pretty special because I'm not dependent on this RI marketplace for starters, right? So if I need to modify a convertible RI, I can literally just go ahead and modify it. So this is a regional concept, but I can modify tenancy platform, which is just the AWS term for OS. I can modify the quantity, the, the instance family, the instance size, literally any of the traits that I specify when I buy a convertible RI, I can change at any point in time. There's none of this 30 day hold stuff. Um, 
And furthermore, I can actually change them as often as I want. This is something that CrossRobot does for us around the clock. Right, CrossRobot? Man, Prospera, you're all over the place doing a lot of stuff automatically for customers and helping them out. Matt, I have to jump in and ask you about CRIs a little bit because aren't they, you don't save as much with CRIs versus regular RIs, but you have the flexibility with them, right? That's exactly right. So standard RIs, if you're using those um, as your primary discount vehicle with an AWS, because of that rigidity that we talked about, the 30-day hold time, um, the, you're, dip, you know, you're beholden to these external marketplace liquidity factors. So for those reasons, it's really hard to get very high coverage up to that last, let's say, like 10 to 20 percent. Uh, and so there you, you're in this situation again where you've got this on-demand that you don't necessarily need. However, with convertible RIs, I can cover all the way up almost into the very high 90s, you know, depending on volatility. But let's say I can cover, you know, pretty consistently like at 95% with a convertible RI because of their flexibility, because I can modify them as often as I want to match my new workloads. So if I change everything to Graviton or change everything to AMD or whatever it is, um, I want to take advantage of a new uh, instance family that AWS released, right? I can literally just change my workloads and then modify my RIs at the same point. Now, this is hard to manage, but again, an autonomous solution like ProsperOps solves that problem for you. That is the one catch with RIs, I feel. They're hard to manage at scale. Imagine you've got thousands of instances and you make changes to even a fraction of those. Now you've got to change the same number of, of RIs to suit those new changes, right? So this is the challenge of it. But again, a platform like ProsperOps delivers autonomous savings and, and matches those RIs to the engineering realities around the clock. ProsperBot, do you want to ask a follow-up question here to Matt? All right, all right, I got it. I'll ask it. Matt, we're talking about the CRIs, but are there really superpowers in achieving any automation and AI around CRIs? Absolutely. So there's many things with automation that we can do with convertible RIs. And first of all, I'd like to just establish, I think it's maybe setting the obvious, but managing convertible RIs manually is a big ask. And humans have processes and then processes uh, make for gaps in coverage, right? So if I have an engineering change at noon, well, I've if I'm doing a human process, I've got to notice that, I've got to go through a procurement thing, maybe do some swivel chair internally. It gets bigger, the bigger my organization is, frankly. And now I've got this several hours, maybe days, hopefully not weeks of this lag between when I adjusted my RIs to meet that engineering change, right? And so with automation, we remove the humans, we remove the process. We allow an autonomous savings platform to track those EC2 uh, instance changes. It's sort of like ingesting telemetry all the time. And then we'll turn around and adjust via the, the APIs afforded to us via AWS. We'll just adjust those RIs to match the engineering realities in real time. And so it it's all in this, this idea that um, achieving an optimal savings outcome requires automation. Like ProsperBot, right? Exactly, just like he does. 
Well, Prosper, I'm glad you're here to help us out and co-host this awesome Spooky Tales of Manual Commitments on this Faces and FinOps episode. Now, Matt, let me dive in a little bit more. Do you have any recommendations for purchasing commitment-based discounts monthly, quarterly, yearly? Yeah. So this is interesting, and this is what we see with manual, right? Nobody has the stomach to, like, you know, assign people, assign resources, assign actual humans. And you've got to, by the way, cover all, like, time zones, basically, right? If we're going to talk about around the clock. So who has the infrastructure and, and the manpower to, like, assign people to watch engineering changes around the clock? Um, so they don't. And so for that reason, they establish a regular cadence that works for the business. Um, and that may mean that, uh, you know, probably at the most granular, you're purchasing weekly. Um, I see groups reassessing their standard RIs or savings plan commitments at monthly or quarterly or even maybe every like six months only. And it's this really coarse grained, um, imprecise, uh, not finely adjusted just because of that, that big period uh, that they're adjusting with. Matt Prosper Bot wanted me to ask this very important question and kind of a definition around. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I, I've got it. Don't, I, I'll, hopefully I'll ask it correctly. Matt, what is the difference or can you help me kind of define rate optimization along with engineering optimization and when is it complete? Uh, yeah, so to demystify the two different types of optimization, pretty straightforward. I'll, I'll put it to you like this. You're any cloud bill, let's, it doesn't matter if it's AWS or anyone else, but uh, your, your bill is comprised of what you used and how much you paid for what you use. So what you use is the engineering side and how much you paid for what you use is what we call the rate. So engineering universe optimization is all this stuff like using spot, right sizing, you know, getting rid of orphaned resources, that type of stuff. And the, the rate, optimization says, hey, I don't care what you're using. I just want to make sure that for whatever you choose to use, wherever you are in your cloud journey, I'm going to make sure you pay the, the lowest rate, the best rate for whatever you're using today. And is it ever complete though between the two of them? Yeah, great question. And no, it's never complete because let's be honest, like you're always, um, you're always probably looking for ways to optimize as an engineer, as a former engineer. Furthermore, New technology is always coming out, so I might have a work. I might have a workload on an instance today, just to make a very simple example, that the next generation or next couple generations of processor are more efficient, and where I was, let's say, seventy percent CPU utilized before, now I'm only forty percent. So guess what? I can downsize that instance. So for that reason, it's it, some of it's outside of our control, right? We may have an architecture, a reference architecture, and that we're using as our our north star. But then as the technology changes along with us, along with time, that's going to change those reference architectures. And for that reason, it's never done. And that's important to, I think, groups to wrap their head around. Again, FinOps is this cultural practice, right? And it's this idea that FinOps is an iterative process, right? So we've got a, this is the inform, optimize uh, cycle of, of FinOps. So you know you're never done and you shouldn't approach it as a, as, as a destination, right? Almost like ProsperBot. Do you think you're able to achieve maximum optimization and rate efficiency and cost everything using RIs and savings plans as an individual? So a single person doing spreadsheet, doing all the thing, 
or do you feel that some type of automation could help them, you know, take it to the next level? Yeah, good question. So uh, I see a lot of cost and usage report data from prospects and there are groups rather rarely that are doing a really good job with their discount instruments. Um, however, not to like reduce or, or belittle like the, the effort that they're applying, certainly. Um, but in those scenarios where someone's doing well with DIY, it's probably because their workload's easy to manage with discount instruments. And what I mean by that is it's not that volatile, it's not that elastic, um, it doesn't change materially hour to hour, week to week, month to month, et cetera. And so it's easy to just go get coverage on. That isn't what most people's cloud usage looks like. You know, indeed we should be taking advantage of the elasticity of, of the cloud and and doing things that that scale horizontally. And for that reason, we've got these big vertical fluctuations in usage. And in those scenarios, it's really hard to get right manually. Um, so they may want to engage a vendor, right? I also see vendors getting this wrong, or I see what I, what I mean by that is I, we can tell when, when another vendor is uh, trying to automate or has imperfect automation. We can literally tell because there's sort of fingerprints of, of human interaction with the discount portfolio, right? I can see that, well, you bought this, this all right this time and you, you mean to do this monthly, but they're at different times of the day. Oh, there's a gap in this month. Like you can tell that's not actually automated because computers don't make these kind of mistakes, right? Unless you tell them to. Um, so yes, automation is, is really the only way to achieve mathematically optimal outcomes, right? The minute I make a change, it should be the same minute that I apply my, my new discount uh, rate optimization to that new engineering resource, right? So absolutely to answer your question in a too long of a way, but yes, automation helps hugely uh, because it works when you sleep. Um, it's just applying objective math and and it's it's literally, I'd like to think of it as savings as a service. I agree with you. And in fact, it works when you sleep is very key because you cannot be in front of it looking at the cost round the clock. Like you can't take your eyes off the screen. You have to understand where your workloads are doing. It's uh, cloud is so variable as it goes along the way. And new employments always happen with engineering. And you need something to help you understand what's being utilized in the environment. I you know what? I think you, you can do it on a small shop. I agree if it's not, if it's a static environment, right? But I still think there right. are opportunities, whether the cost savings is going to be huge or not, there's still opportunities for some type of automation. And then you're set for when your company does grow. Could agree more. Yep. Matt, before we wrap things up, Prosperbot has a challenging question for you. I hope you are prepared for this. Are you ready? Let it rip. So Professor Rott wants to know, the last question is, if you didn't have to be here right now, and I'm talking at work, not this podcast, because you wanted to dress up and you want to do some spooky tales, where would you be? Where would I be right now on a Friday afternoon uh, in chilly, chilly Minneapolis? I'd probably be uh, somewhere warmer, uh, settling down with maybe a hot toddy. How about that? I like that. That's it. Yeah, yeah, I so Prosperbot, you agree? 
I think he says cheers in his own little way. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining. This has been an awesome episode and a spooky tales of when manual commitment management go wrong. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you kindly. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. This has been another awesome episode. And in fact, a spooky episode around faces and fin powered by our good friends at Prosper Ops. Uh, I'd like to thank our co-host, ProsperBot. ProsperBot, thank you for joining us. And be sure to hit that like, subscribe, and notify, because guess what? We're out of here. Happy Halloween!